Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, this is Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Today, masculinity, or specifically, and this is very important because there is a difference, a toxic form of masculinity and how it hurts men. Today, I'm talking to JJ Bowler, whose book is Mask Off, Masculinity Redefined. And we chat about how, obviously, women are oppressed as we know, by male violence, by male dominance in society, but also how men themselves are damaged by a toxic form of masculinity which promotes violence, aggression, stops men being able to talk about their their problems, their, their feelings when they're suffering mental distress, for example, um, and how this has terrible consequences in lots of different ways. So it's a really interesting and nuanced discussion when I posted this, uh, the video version on my Facebook page, it sparked outrage from people who didn't even click on the link uh, to to watch it. The, watch it, they just thought seeing toxic masculinity means demonising men, which it doesn't, uh, or that masculinity is being demonised uh, as innately toxic, which it isn't. I think those people understand the difference between Coke and Diet Coke, but they don't seem to understand that toxic masculinity doesn't mean all masculinity and the whole point partly about the book is to look at how we can help create a different form of masculinity and support it so do give it a listen it's a really interesting discussion do support us on patreon uh, to keep the channel going and to do more stuff like our documentaries uh, or use the support function do leave five stars uh, if you can and a review and with that said i hope you're all well and enjoy the discussion it is really great to have JJ Bowler here today talking about his new book, Mask Off, Masculinity Redefined. Uh, firstly, hello. Good to see you. How you doing, Owen? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. Finally clawing our way through to some form of normality. It is a bit cold to be drinking outside, as I've discovered. I don't know how you're feeling. Yeah, I'm not going outside for a while. Everyone's talking about alfresco dining. I'm just <laughs> like, no, I'll stay in my home. Thank you. It's like all suddenly like pigeons all of a sudden sitting outside grazing. Yeah. Let's just start. I want to kick off with something you talk about in your book, and I just think it's quite a good um, way in. And it's about uh, back in May 2014, a young male university dropout at Santa Barbara City College, uh, he killed three of his male flatmates and then released this 100,000-word manifesto um, and then went on a shooting spree and killed three women and injured 14 more. Just tell us a bit about that. I mean, what, what, what does that whole horrific, obviously a horrendous incident, what does, it, what does it tell us about masculinity? I mean, really, it's kind of the unfortunate perfect symbol of um, male entitlement, really. So here is a young man who felt like in his life 
he was supposed to be granted certain positions, certain opportunities, and certain access to women and women's bodies. But he wasn't able to have that. And so the frustration built up increasingly and to the point where it resulted in violence and very much specific tar targeted violence. And a lot of this was fueled by what's known as like the incel community, which, you know, is largely like what's the involuntary celibates where it's like a group of men and a lot of like people online who have this culture of entitlement and feel like they're not getting the things that they typically deserve in life. And that is a lot of like, that's due to their toxic male entitlement. And I think this was like one of the ways in which it manifested in the most extreme sense, but actually it manifests every day in very little ways as well. Um, when we talk about to toxic masculinity, what, what are we talking about? What do we mean? Because a lot of the time, some men hear that and think, well, this is just, um, this, is an, this is an attack on men. It's demonizing men. Uh, I can't help the way I'm bored and that kind of stuff. So what, do we, mm. what are we talking about with toxic masculinity? I mean, it's really simple. It's just the behaviors that are basically reinforced or endorsed by a patriarchal society that grants men um, certain privileges, but on the other hand, um, you know, is oppressive towards women. So say, for instance, a man, um, you know, thinking it's a men's duty or right to be able to sleep with many women and be sexually uh, promiscuous. If a woman's seen in the same way, then that's, that's usually a positive for a man, but it's usually a negative for a woman. And so that's just like an example of toxic masculinity. Or male uh, uh, aggression, you know, um, a man being kind of physically dominant or aggressive is usually seen as a a, 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 a trait that's reinforced within um, the patriarchy, but for a woman, it's a negative uh, aspect. So it's really just the t typical kind of traits and behaviors that are endorsed by the patriarchy. And this varies in different ways all over the world. There's some things that's very similar um, and it's very common everywhere, but there's some things that's also very different and changes according to the world and the culture. When we, I mean, just I mean, a lot of this is devil's advocate, obviously, but it's important. Um, <laughs> some men will go, oh, you say that, we say that men are privileged and everything's rigged in their favor, but look at the suicide rates. Um, the biggest killer of men under 45 in, in Britain is, is suicide. Um, men are far more likely to die of suicide than, than women are. Uh, where does that fit into the theory? that the, the mm. theories the, the thesis of the book i mean and there's so many other things as well men are more likely to die by suicide men are more likely to be um homeless so 90 percent of homeless people on the streets are male male also more likely to be um substance abusers or have addictions and all of these are actually like reinforcements of what is kind of patriarchal expectations and so this is kind of what i say in terms of like the patriarchy and toxic masculinity is that it's a double-edged sword for the majority of men the same system that gives you privileges is also the same system that oppresses you and the problem is is that as men we often see what grants us the privileges without necessarily seeing where like the negative effects that it's having on us and so i think that we have to look at it quite critically as well um in terms of how we are kind of approaching and what we're accepting in terms of like our participation in um, in the patriarchal system. So if as men, we want there to be less 
men who die by suicide each year, we have to think about what kind of behaviors we're enforcing that lead men to take their own lives. We have to think about what kind of behaviors we're reinforcing that lead men to become addicted to substances, that lead men to be to be to be homeless, you know, and I think a lot of that ties into the ways that we are both benefited um, with the way that we benefit from the patriarchal society and the way that it impacts us as well. One of the things I'm interested in um, is about how homophobia can be used as a form of gender policing. So I'm uh, I'm a queer person. I'm not just coming out there. I think everyone's aware of that. But anyway, um, but I was, I was going to say, if, if someone doesn't know, <laughs> then they know, probably like, live under a rock. Like. Yeah, it's like, come on, how much more effort do I need to put into that? <laughs> um, yeah, so what I'd say is that growing up, the worst kind of cuss word, for, I'm using Americanisms now, but that you'd hear in the playground was something linked to gay, gay, queer, poff, that kind of thing. And it was endemic. I mean, everyone's like an everyday thing people will say. And despite changes in attitudes, I would say is still like rampant in the playground, in school settings and beyond, if we're going to be honest. And what I'd say is obviously homophobia is particularly violent, obviously, and oppressive towards gay people. But it's also true, I would say most straight people are on the receiving end of some form of homophobia, uh, particularly in their younger years, but at some point in their lives. Because homophobia is used as this, I've called it like the border guard of, the border guards of masculinity. Because if you're seen to not get into enough fights, uh, to not speak about women in degrading enough way, also other random stuff like being seen as too studious or maybe not athletic enough, things like that. Then it's like, why are you being such a puff? Why are you being so gay? Or if you talk about your feelings, if you talk about uh, depression. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and other forms of mental distress, that's seen as, you know, people will either say man up or they'll say, oh, you're a puff or something. That is so rampant. So I'm interested in your thoughts about how homophobia um, is used against straight men in order to violently coerce them into embracing unreconstructed uh, masculine behaviours. Yeah, I mean, um, so all of that really just ties into the way in which masculinity is a performance, right? And so throughout, for, for a lot of boys and men as well, from the, from the day they're born, literally, there's all these behaviours that are, like, policed and borders around to what you can do and what you can't do and what is seen as, you know, being kind of um, normalised for a straight man versus what perhaps maybe more... Um, feminized or seen as queer or gay and you know there's so many different examples that relate to this like we were talking about this earlier like I grew up playing basketball um, absolutely love basketball one of the things that's common in basketball and a lot of other sports as well is that when someone does something good someone scores or whatever you slap them on the bum like, that's pretty much normal yeah well done good job quick pat on the bum like that's normal um, I do that I do that now I did that as a 13 year old boy when I first picked up uh, a basketball happened to me and so forth but i can't think of any other context um and that's that was normalized right but i can't think of any other context where you know that would be normal so i just think about if you know one of my mates um got a promotion and if we're chilling at his flat or whatever and he's like yeah i've got a new job i'm like get up and well done quick pat on the bum i'll be like bro, bro what are you doing you know that's gay or even um you know uh think about the remember the trend when men started wearing uh pink shirts or 
mm -hmm. uh, pink colors or <laughs> yeah. wearing skinny jeans <laughs> so forth, all these fashion trends, right? Or um, remember when metrosexuality was a thing? Basically, uh -huh. that men did their eyebrows. <laughs> like, you know, like previous to that, if any, if basically if a guy participated in something that was seen as slightly effeminate, then they were, yeah, these kind of homophobic terms were thrown around towards them. And the thing is, we didn't necessarily, as a straight man, we didn't necessarily suffer the violence of homophobia. It was just more about policing your behaviours around what is seen as straight uh, or not. And I think that that happens in so many ways, in both the extreme ways, but in the absolute, like, kind of minute, almost, like, overlooked, insignificant ways. That just ties into the fact that every day we're performing masculinity and that shifts like in terms of cultures as well so my background is congolese it's very normal if you're in congo and in many other countries around the world nigeria india and so forth where two guys like could walk down the street holding hands you know and there's there's nothing there's no reflection of their sexuality whatsoever but um here in the uk particularly if you are walking hands if you're walking down the street hand in hand with another man then that's immediately sexualized and you'll probably suffer some form of violence towards that. And so there's always these shifting kind of goalposts about what is seen as straight or gay or masculine or feminine. And every day we're just performing to it. And, you know, quite frankly, it's extremely exhausting. I mean, why do you think vi violence does hang over much of the masculine experience in its current in forms it's just, it's just always there particularly when you're younger mm -hmm. uh, violence is kind of a means to resolve conflicts of any description always always particularly when you're younger it always seems quite close it's like never that far yeah. away there's always yeah. a bit of there's some it depends where you grew up i mean where i grew up in stockport and there was you know there was always some, some form not that far away some form of violence male mm -hmm. violence what 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 is that? I mean, somewhat you see because obviously you get a biological essentialist perspective, which is this is testosterone. This is what it you know it's innate. It's innately tied up with the biological realities of being male. Now again, just to avoid people getting annoyed, I don't believe this, and I'm speaking uh, from a devil's advocate perspective. But it's important because I know lots of people mm -hmm. will raise this and they'll bring this up. So what is it all about? Why do you think violence is so tied up? Uh, because you and I don't believe it's a name. We don't think being a man is eternally doomed, that violence is always tied mm -hmm. to that experience. It's just not true. So why why do you think it's so ever-present as things stand? Well, it's, it's socialisation, and violence is one of the quickest ways to kind of um, impose upon other people and uphold your power. And usually, like, it goes back to the very basic kind of view that the person who's bigger and stronger gets their way. And I think that if we look at the way that, you know, we're socialized in society as men, the portrayals that are shown in uh, in the mainstream media and on social media as well, you know, violence and aggression between men. I say this like in previous talks as well, it's normal to see two guys fighting. It's more normal to see two guys fighting than it is to see two guys kissing on whatever platform, you know, and even, you know, myself as a straight guy, like I have to check myself in terms of this because there's been several times, you know, I live in North London. There's been several times that I'm walking down the street coming home from a late night, pre-lockdown, whatever it is. And I've seen like guys get into a fight and I'm like, oh, here we go again. And it's just nothing new. I don't react to it. I don't think of anything of it. I've just seen this is normal. 
Um, but then when I see two um, two men holding hands or being affectionate, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, you know, not in a negative way, but I'm like, wow, I'm really interested. I'm really thinking about their story and, you know, all of this and how much bravery it is um, to be in that situation. And I think, hold on, that actually says a lot about how we're socialised. It says a lot about the way that we view what's normal and what isn't. Perhaps if we were more shocked at two men fighting and we were less shocked at two men loving each other, perhaps that, that would be able to redress, you know, the, the normalization of this violence. And I think a lot of it is largely due to due to socialization. And there's many examples around the world where, you know, initiatives are being put in place where young boys are being socialized to express themselves away from uh, violence and aggression and more towards compassion and understanding and communication, something also we're not taught to do. And also, I mean, if the biological essentialist view was true, then all men would just be violent. And obviously... I mean, just, or just literally, like, just all the time. But the oh, thing yeah. is, and I think this is hilarious, right? And, and men know, like, men know. It's always funny when I have these conversations because when I have it just amongst men, like, there's a certain almost, like, honesty that isn't upheld when it's generally around, around other people. Men know who they can and can't pick a fight with. Like, if a man sees another man who's bigger, perhaps more athletic looking than themselves, they're likely not going to pick a fight. It's very, very rare. But if they see someone who they feel they can intimidate, then suddenly that's where the bravado comes out. And it's all very selective and it's very performative as well. Um, I just wish that more men would, you know, would admit that. And it's funny, right? One of the things that I always get because I, you know, speak quite a lot about um quite open about vulnerability masculinity and so forth i happen to be quite tall unfortunately it's really not convenient for me i don't enjoy it at all um but one of the things that when someone meets me in person is like they they almost want to come with like a certain level of i don't know like um trying to approach me about what i discussed but the first thing they always say is wow you're really tall <laughs> and then that kind of like they change the way they speak towards me as if a particular being a particular height or something is related to being aggressive. And I'm like, okay, I'm, in my head, I'm thinking I may be tall, but I'm the last person who like would even get into a fight because I'm literally thinking I don't want to ruin my outfit. <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's all performative, really. I mean, it's not just violence, is it? There's also, uh, I mean, one example, you often get this, that phrase thrown around, I'll just say it, like dick swinging contest, where you get men um trying to dominate a situation i mean sometimes you'll get it through men who maybe are academically inclined uh and they try to prove their worth by dominating a conversation um you know trying to show prove how intelligent they are their knowledge speak over people particularly other women but also other other men who they're trying to show they've got higher status then mm -hmm. Um, and there's also, I know there's this example of um, devil's advocate arguments. Men are far more likely to present themselves as the devil's advocate in the way I'm mm. ironically doing in this conversation. But there's a purpose. There's yeah. a purpose to this conversation. But in, in, uh, I'm not doing it for performative <laughs> reasons. I'm doing it to yeah, tease yeah. out an argument. <laughs> but, um, but no, but it's true. You get this kind of, you know, and it's men trying to, you know, you get it. Mansplaining, obviously, is another example where... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm now mansplaining, mansplaining for those watching, but it's obviously where um, men particularly appear in the mentions of, uh, of 
women on Twitter and try to patronizingly explain to them basic things, which the woman is probably more than aware of. So, I mean, these are, it's interesting is it's not just violence. Men find other means to often, mm. because of their socialization, to try and prove they are of a higher status mm. and they should be dominant in a particular social setting. Mm. And that's the thing. It's like the way that we're socialized, you know, we're told for you to be a, a man, a real man, quote unquote, that you have to be kind of dominant in all situations. You have to take the lead, you have to be strong and so forth. And all of these kind of really result in men developing ego complexes, right? To the point where even when it's against their own interests, they still try to dominate and still try to kind of present themselves as the authority figure or the leading voice in a, in a, in a place where it doesn't really suit them. And you find this happening, especially on Twitter, like all the time where you see guys trying to mansplain something to a woman, for example, who wrote the paper or the article about something. Yeah, yeah. And then the woman reveals it was me who wrote it and they still yeah. try to argue. Yeah. <laughs> that <happens so> many <laughs> times. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on, it's, it's actually exhausting. But again, part of it is just that, you know, that, that, that social dominance. And that ties in as well to, you think about it, patriarchy isn't just a system that exists in and of itself. It's also tied into capitalism, imperialism, and so forth. And so as men, you know, we're constantly told that we have to be the breadwinners. You know, we have to show that we're worthy suitors and all of that. And so if you think about, you know, the guy who drives the flashy car, the guy who, you know, is overly materialistic on 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 the social medias or the rappers or whoever it is these are all manifestations of patriarchy the intersection of patriarchy and capitalism and imperialism as well hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, a common kind of response often to men talking about how masculinity can harm men is it sounds a bit what you know what it's it's, it's framed sometimes people say this on Twitter you know where men go what about the men uh, you get this often on International Women's Day people go uh, when's International yeah. Men's Day it's like there is an International Men's Day every year so yeah Google next time anyway yeah. but um, but you know we live obviously in in a country where the 1.4 million women suffer domestic violence each year, far more than the other way round. And mm -hmm. for those who raise it, yes, there is obviously the phenomenon of the other way round, but it's almost always less sustained and less violent than than, than men and women. Uh, women are obviously, you know, where we talk about 400,000 women suffer sexual assault a year. 
and that's without just talking about sexual harassment, which can be a daily mm-hmm. experience for many women in this country. Um, and then you get uh, the fact that women are concentrated. Oh, well, then we get 90,000 women raped a year. Uh, women concentrated in the lowest paid and most insecure uh, mm-hmm. work. Women, women still doing the vast bulk of unpaid labor in the house, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be everything from cleaning to raising children. I mean, how do you know? That's what people say. It's like, well, come on, how can we ever talk about men being the victim when actually it's men remain the dominant gender mm-hmm. who are oppressing women and benefiting directly from the privilege of being men? Mm. I mean, I, I think a lot of the times when men bring up the what about men issues, it's usually to silence women and to silence, you know, um, people of other genders um, from speaking out about their oppression. Um, I think there's valid conversations to be had about what men's experiences are, but never at a point where, you know, it's on like International Women's Day and something, and they're saying, well, what about International Men's Day? When an International Men's Day exists, and then when that day comes around in November, like these same men who are saying, well, what about Men's Day? They remain silent, you know? And so I think it's just really like a silencing, um, a silencing tactic, but um, all of these issues even as well. It's funny because when we speak about men who are victims of whether it's violence or also sexual assault at the, other, at the hands of um, other men or at the hands of women as well, they even get ridiculed. You know, there's, there's very few platforms that kind of have these conversations. And, you know, there's many occasions where if a man goes to the police station to report that they've been assaulted by perhaps their you know, their wife or something like they, they, it's not taken as seriously. And so I think that we have to kind of really stop being contradictory and hypocritical. Uh, well, I'm, just, I'm saying that these guys who talk about it have to be stop being hypocritical and, and actually raise the issues that they're passionate about without trying to silence women, because it's a, it's a, it's a continuum. Like the two, the two issues are linked. And so if we're trying to speak over each other, we just end up kind of like clashing and not really resolving anything, which has been what's been happening for goodness knows how long. Yeah. Um, a lot, you know, it's, it's often, well, not easy, but we can have these discussions about the nature of toxic masculinity and how it's harmful and just objectively harmful. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of young men in this country in settings where the expectation is to behave in a certain way, otherwise your life is made hard mm-hmm. or significantly harder you know there is a you know there's it's not like lots of younger men are doing it for a laugh as you say it's socialization and socialization is is often in a very oppressive and coercive mm-hmm. um thing to go through so how do we get you know with younger if there are lots of younger men in settings where the milieu they're in cheeky little french word there uh, no but the the settings they're in make it very hard to defy mm. those expectations precisely mm-hmm. because they themselves fear they are more likely themselves to be a target so mm-hmm. what can actually happen what how can what can younger men maybe watching or listening to this he think well this is all well and good but given the situation i'm in like mm-hmm. these expectations i don't like them but they are very dominant and strong in the environment i'm in yeah, so yeah, what can yeah. you change what what would you say to those younger men well, I mean, this is this is that's a great question, um, and this is also an issue that I talk about with the young men that I do workshops with in schools and so forth. That 
it's first about understanding what created the environment that you're in, why those expectations exist, right? And what you can do about it. And no one's saying that to go out there and completely change everything at once. But I think within our own kind of circles, within our own private spaces and the friendships that we have, that's where we can begin to challenge some of the things, some of the toxic things that are normalized in terms of like our masculine expectations and behaviors as well. And I think if you challenge things within the personal spaces first, then it begins to impact on the wider issue. And so, you know, I grew up like on a council estate in North London. Like I know what it's like to be in those environments where it's, you're more at risk of being, you know, being, you're more at risk of harm if um, you are seen as vulnerable rather than if you're seen as like being toxic, right? Um, and so for me, I say it's about how, it's about intelligently managing those situations how do you address the issues within your own private spaces as well and in your own local community? But also, you know, I think like there's, there has to be a certain element of realism in, in terms of how we navigate the world and how we navigate these spaces. Like I tell people to, as much as I tell people to, um, you know, to not be violent and not be aggressive, I also tell people to, you know, learn martial arts, for example, if, you, if they're physically able or have some form of self-defense. Um, not because you're going to attack anyone, but more so, unfortunately, we still live in a world that we have to navigate these kind of dual realities. And I think, especially in terms of like from a martial arts perspective, is that, I, you know, I started training um, Muay Thai a few years ago. One of my close friends um, is an instructor. And it's so funny. So before I started training, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm all right. I can, I can, I can fight. And then it's actually hilarious because when I started training, I realized that, through martial art, it's all like fighting is actually the last possible resort. It's all about conflict resolution and how you can get out of that situation because you don't want to you don't want to use the physical aggression. It's all about self-control and conflict resolution. And actually, like I've never had an issue since. And I'm sure that you know other people would maybe have or have not have issues, but I think that empowering yourself with those skills allows you to navigate the reality of the world. Um, you know, a lot differently. And unfortunately, we're not yet at, a, at the peaceful, progressive world that we want to all uh, live in. But it's like, until we get to those stages, what can we do in the meantime to empower ourselves whilst also making change within our communities? And I think so often that people just say, well, this is just the environment that I'm in. There's nothing I can do about it. When in fact, there's a lot of people doing amazing things within those environments as well that can be supported. Just a couple of other things um, in this really fascinating book everyone needs to read and buy um so you debunk myths about masculinity men are logical and women are emotional uh that men are sexual beings and women aren't that men think about sex all the time and women don't so just want to talk about those those pervasive ideas that exist yeah. about mass being a man and being a woman yeah i mean these are things that we uh, again largely are socialized with, and also in terms of that socialization it becomes like something that we internalize and almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy right um but you know the whole men are logical argument is hilarious because when your football say fav, when your favorite football team loses you're upset for the whole week like do you know what i mean that is not that is not um a rational or logical uh thing to do and actually there was a research that showed that um domestic violence went up on the on the days that um, the male partners' football teams lost. So imagine the absolute irrationality of 
your favorite football team losing and then you go and taking out on your partner and you know so those kind of decisions there um uh, uh, just can't be rationalized they're not logical at all and i mean that's just like one very kind of like small example but i think there's so many different ways in which it impacts our everyday life um, and all of these myths uh, myths that we're told from a young age again to kind of put up those borders around masculine expectations and toxic expectations that socializes us into becoming these things that we don't even recognize. And when you get to a certain stage or a certain level of understanding, you realize that, you know, you're not the man you're supposed to be. And I, I quote uh, Martin Robinson's book there as well, because he writes about being socialized in a way that this isn't even who I am. And I think a lot of men have a reckoning where they come to the point, or hopefully have a reckoning where they come to the point where it's like, well, I've been following my friends and people around me for so long. Like, who am I to myself? You know, what are my feelings? What are my emotions and so forth? And that's a conversation that a lot of men need to have. Um, in chapter five, you talk about gender fluidity. I think this is really interesting because Britain is such a burning skip when it comes to the issue of trans rights and gender nonconformity. Mm. Uh, to the extent now where if you, anyone who knows trans people knows that trans people are talking about how they want to leave the country because the environment mm -hmm. is just so hostile and there is essentially this radicalized cult which is very entrenched has become radicalized online and i think there was an article actually um uh recently by uh a brilliant journalist uh called katie baker which looks at the parallels between anti-trans people who are radicalized online and men's rights activists this kind of like red pill kind of thing and they mm. go through these online rabbit holes and um, they're often often emotionally vulnerable people exploited by you know people radicalizing but what you talk about is you talk about and you talk about you know your congolese background and in congolese culture how gender fluid or trans people were held to a higher state in society and seem as more mm -hmm. spiritual beings so what does that tell us because obviously gender nonconformity actually expresses itself in lots of different cultures in lots of different ways thailand is one example uh, as well but there's lots of other cultures um so what what does that what does that teach us about the nature of gender and gender not being this really fixed thing which so we're often told that like in terms of um transgender identity or sexual identity whether it's like queer or gay identities that these things are not normal um and often that's told from quite a fundamentalist like religious perspective um and so my example in terms of including how gender was con conceived their sexuality was conceived in these pre-colonial indigenous particularly african uh, global south societies um, was to actually like give people examples of the way that identities were perceived before this Western global hege hegemony kind of um, took over. And the way that we see um, whether it's trans identities or queer or gay identities now, particularly from an African context, is largely as a result of you know, the colonial powers that enforce certain rules upon us. And so I, you know, I use the example of the Congo um, cosmology or Congo spiritual system, where um, it is believed that in each person there's a balance of both masculine and feminine energies, and you find your person who balances you in terms of their masculine and feminine energies. And these are things that were upheld in traditional societies, but when Congo, for example, was colonized by Portugal and colonized by um, Belgium, these were completely uprooted and um, 
you know, eviscerated and replaced with more kind of religious fundamental um, Catholic beliefs that, that said, you know, a man um, is a man, and a man shall not labor with a man, and a woman shall not labor with a woman, woman etc., and completely abolished these ideas of like gender and sexual fluidity. And so I think those examples help us to understand and conceptualize that the worlds that we're trying to create are actually worlds that have existed, right? And how do we then move forwards in a way that balances what we knew then with what we know now? And I'm not saying that, especially in Congo, even back then, that everything was perfect. But I'm saying that there's different ways of, we don't have to, basically, we don't have to reinvent the will. There's different ways, particularly, like, to understand, you know, our lived realities and our humanities as well in the Native American um, tradition. Like, there's up to five um, genders that uh, are conceived, or the two-spirit people, for example. Um, and these are people who are held in high regard. So I think we don't have to... Uh, so I, I say a lot of these examples for people to be able to get their heads around different cultures, different places in time, to understand what things were like and that the fact that wherever we're born into whatever families we were born into a lot of the times it's, it's just a, it's a lottery you know it's a lottery and so you could have been into you could have been born into a time and a place where the things that you oppose are actually very normal and so this kind of understanding of 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 uh, sexual fluidity and gender fluidity for in 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 my understanding in my ancestral understanding as well is a lot more normal than we perceive it to be. And especially if you want to add in, like, I'll just go on a little bit, the, the nuance of, you know, this kind of perception that um, there's an inherent maybe connection between blackness and homophobia. You know, a lot of these things are espoused out there in terms of, like, black people being, you know, more homophobic. And actually, in terms of, like, black cultures, pre-colonial black cultures and pre-colonial and pre, um, pre-Western pre invasion black identities, queerness, sexual fluidity and gender fluidity were normal. They're not just normal, but they were revered. And so it's like, how do we, how do we understand our histories knowing that so much of it has been erased by the colonial powers? And how do we bring those erased histories into our modern lived realities as well? Finally, we're going to leave on a high. Um, I mean, the point that you obviously go at pains to make clear is masculinity and patriarchy are not one and the same. And obviously masculinity is a fluid, dynamic thing, for mm -hmm. a better, better word. Um, but in your conclusion, you lay out, um, very much linked to that, um, a co 10 causes of action, basically, to create a radically new masculinity. So just give us a basic flavour of, you know... I kind of so we have a we've not just analyzed here so we we have a kind of constructive way forward what are the just basic sorts of things you think are the ways to combat this toxic form of masculinity and create a new form of masculinity that isn't based on the subjugation of women it's not based on mm -hmm. violence uh not just against women but against those deemed to deviate from the masculine norm mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, firstly, like the reason why I wanted to include that, because there's a lot of amazing books out there on this issue. But then what often happens is you get filled with all this information and you don't know what to do next. And so I always kind of feel like what happens at that stage is when you don't know what to do next, the almost like automatic response is to revert back to the roots and patterns that you are kind of the cycle that you were stuck in. 
And so what I was trying to do is trying to like give some ideas about how people can empower themselves, right? In the absence of having perhaps political power or systemic power, what you can do in your own personal life and in your own communities and families to try and transform the way that people think about gender and, se and sexuality as well. Um, and so one of the things I, I say is journaling, right? I think journaling is incredibly powerful. Um, I recommend everyone, but particularly boys and young men to journal because that's something that we're socialized away from, you know, journaling or keeping a diary is almost like completely effeminized. If you think about every pop teenage high school movie, where it's like, oh, you keep a journal, you keep a diary, it's almost seen as something that young girls do and not like grown men. But actually, it's a brilliant tool for reflection. And that whole reflective process allows you to become more in touch with your emotions, more in touch with your thoughts and your feelings as well. And I think for a lot of us men, we're socialized to think away from that. And it's not that we aren't reflective, it's just that we're not seen, we're not told the benefits of it. And then those kind of like reflective processes help you to help it help improve your relationships. It helps improve your mental health as well. And so if we're talking about why men die by suicide at a younger age, like those are some of the issues that, you know, these are some of the tools that we can help address and uh, those issues. Um, another thing I try to propose is about men having, and I think this is a really important one, right? men having um, non, more non-sexual intimacy and particularly male, male intimacy with other men. And I think that's incredibly important, particularly for straight men, because a lot of the times men, we seek intimacy through, through sex, right? And that often leads us to having shallow sexual um, relationships with damage other people, but also damage ourselves. And so how can we create environments and spaces where we can be physically intimate, but in a non-sexual way? So that means like hugging, touching, embracing, all of those kind of things. And it's really interesting in the context of the pandemic, right, where we're not physically able to see each other and connect with each other, how much that has impacted us. Like what has a year without touch done to us and our mental health? And I think the majority of us will agree that it's not had the most positive effect. And so like, those are just some of the examples that, you know, we can, uh, I suggest for us to do in the absence of, you know, political power in the absence of systemic power until we can put things in place in terms of like the education system or the mental health system and so forth. Like what can we do in our own personal lives and in our relationships and in our friendships as well that can help improve that. Another thing that I suggest is therapy. I think therapy is so incredibly powerful and so incredibly important. Obviously, finding the right therapist is the key to that. But I think for a lot of men, we also don't have the space to actually speak about ourselves and speak about our issues. Um, and a lot of us don't know where to go. And so therapy is a great solution, but it's obviously really expensive and difficult to access. So in the absence of therapy, what can you do? Like, can you create a space where you perhaps can have a friend or a mentor who you can talk to, someone local in your community. There's online, um, a lot of online spaces now. I know that Mind, for example, the charity, run online forums where you can anonymously speak with other people and talk about whatever it is that you may be going through. And so I think some of these things can actually have really significant impacts on our day-to-day -day lives rather than us waiting for them to include it in you know, the education system or to change policies. There are things that we can do, there's things that you can do after you finish reading this book 
to then empower yourself in your day-to-day -day life. JJ, it's been a massive honor, and I really do recommend people getting themselves a copy of Mask Off, Masculinity Redefined. It's such a crucial topic that we need to discuss, men need to discuss. Thank you. Um, and uh, you do it so brilliantly and, and eloquently, and uh, it's so important that we have this discussion debate, which this book will provoke and help nurture. So thank you so, so Appreciate much. It. Thank you. And, Thanks uh, for having me. It's a big honor. Cheers. All right. Wonderful. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry about some of the sound quality there. We did our best to uh, improve the quality on the other end. Sometimes we just have to work around these things. Uh, but it was a really interesting discussion. I hope you thought so as well. Uh, do uh, support us on Patreon if you can to help us uh, keep the keep the channel and podcast afloat, help us decide what we talk about, who we talk to, or use the support function in the description. If you're feeling generous, do give us five stars and leave a review. And with that, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.